0: Welcome well, if you are here here for the twenty-first century work slash Shabbat Balance, welcome. It's glad to have you back. Uh I'm back in the saddle with Ravanit Leah Sarna and Rabanit Sarah Walkenfeld. And source sheets will be shared in the chat. And as along with instructions for muting the chat, there's been a lot going on. So if you are trying to turn off the icon for it and you're wondering why can't I turn off notifications, you're not. There is a way to do it.
1: With that amazing thank you so much kayla um it's great to see everyone again i hope you all had a great week and a great shabbat and if you were at our last class then i hope you can Um, Report back a little bit on things you kept track of or things you didn't keep track of on Shabbat. That was our class last week is keeping track of life on Shabbat Um, or anything that you noticed about your tracking habits in general during the week. We'd love to see your answers in the chat. General Zoom housekeeping, please stay muted, but please do use the chat whenever you have something to ask or to say. Um, and we'll be pausing for questions periodically. So that'll be a chance for us to read up on the chat, but also um, a chance for actual voices to be heard. Um, And Kayla just shared the source sheet in the chat. So you should all be able to get to that now Um, and we will dive in. Um, So this week's class is about uh, about the topic of working across time zones, a subject that is near and dear to my heart as it is super relevant for me professionally um, and maybe for you too. Um, oh, I, I see already we have some some uh, comments about tracking on Shabbat. Good job. No, I'm not looking at a clock. Okay, I'm going to focus now. Um, so not working across time zones is, comes up for me professionally, like literally all the time. Um, if you work with Jews, it comes up. If you work with Gentiles, it comes up. Um, If you have colleagues in different places, it comes up. Basically, if you work with people who are in different locations, whether they are Jewish or not, this can come up. Um, And if it doesn't come up in your work life, it could for sure come up in your personal life. It could be friends who live elsewhere. It could be family members who live elsewhere. Um, It's just a function of time zones, basically. Um, And the fact that it is Shabbat in different places at different times. And so our questions for this week are, do I have to worry about whether it is Shabbat for someone else um, when it is not Shabbat for me? So for me, that means when I'm contemplating sending those last few emails um, on Friday afternoon, and I know that it's already Shabbat in other places, but I live in Chicago where it's an hour earlier. um, So like, do I have to care? Do I have to be concerned about that? Do I have to worry um, knowing that um, it's not Shabbat where I am? So Like in that sense, I'm fine, but it is Shabbat in other places. And do I have to worry about whether it's Shabbat for somebody else when they call me, text me, email me, all the things? How much should I be paying attention to timestamps on emails that I get? Like, does it matter if it turns out that they actually sent it when it was Shabbat? Um, And what about automated emails and commercial websites that are always available? all those things and more. We'll think about all those questions, but we wanna start with some of the underpinnings of, of these issues. Um, so I'm going to share my screen and jump into this worksheet. Oh, Alana was thinking about the temperature. So you can convert to Celsius in your head? No, oh, that's amazing. I have a friend who lives in Canada and we've been talking about weather differences. And so because I was in Israel for four months, I got good at figuring out Celsius from Fahrenheit and then I started going the other way. Awesome, <laughs> call it <and come> a <laughs> Okay, so we're going to start with a a basic issue. It's going to seem maybe like a funny question at first. The question is, where is Shabbat? Or maybe it's good to say like relative to me and where I am, where is Shabbat elsewhere in the world? Um, Do I have to be concerned with the fact that it is not Shabbat where I am, but maybe I can cause Melacha to happen? Maybe I can cause non-Shabbat appropriate work to happen in a place where I am not. And in a place where it, where it is Shabbat. But, like on a more meta concept or on a more meta level, you know, in the world where we understand the concept of time zones, where is Shabbat? Can Shabbat be geographically contained, or does the fact that it is Shabbat somewhere in the world kind of impinge on me in kind of, some kind of spiritual way? So, this is a chuva from the Levushay Mordechai. Um, Rabbi Nisarna helpfully already put in a note um, that the Levushim Mordechai is Rabbi Mordechai Yehudalev, son of Neftali. Rabbi Natali Winkler. He's a Hungarian rabbi um, from the 1800s, and he writes about this question not about emails, not about texts. Um, <speaking in Hebrew> so basically, worrying about um, I'm over here and my animals are over there, um, over here and over there. Being in this case, I think ultimately like the land of Israel and and not the land of Israel, right? Hungary, presumably. Um, and, uh, and so like my animals are doing work in a place where it is Shabbat, but I'm already in a place where it's not Shabbat. Do I have to worry about my animals doing work in that place? And uh, he starts out by saying, okay, so right, there's, there's different time zones and he spends a lot of time on kind of affirming, affirming that idea. Um, and says, right, as a general rule, I'm skipping a little bit, to the bolded part, kolachad <laughs> shovet kizman mekomo. Um, that in in general, right? Everyone keeps Shabbat. This you already know. Everyone keeps Shabbat in the place where they are. There is something going on in Shemayim also, right? Up in heaven, also it's Shabbat in some places and it's not Shabbat in other places. And there's there's a difference in Shemayim. There's a, somehow a heavenly difference between Shabbat and not Shabbat. Um, and what does that what does that look like exactly? Or I never really thought about this before. But um, if all of Shabbat is modeled on the idea that God rested, so that that was like a one-time deal. But now, when does God when, when is it Shabbat for God essentially? Um, and he quotes a midrash from the Zohar. So literally, the um, the Shechina doesn't doesn't move from from the Jewish people, um, even on or from the Jewish people in Israel, I should say, even when it is Shabbat, um, even when it is Shabbat Shel Chol, so Shabbat um, in a non-holy place. Essentially what he's saying is that Jerusalem is the center of the world when it comes to um, Shabbat Shal Mala. This is a Kabbalistic idea that Yerushalayim determines Shabbat yeah, in like the upper, in the upper worlds. But the shekhinah stays where it is. The shekhinah stays present in any place where it is Shabbat. Um, so it's it's a weekday Shabbat. It's Shabbat of the weekday. Um, it's Shabbat for places other than Jerusalem. The shekhinah stays put in that place, even though on some very meta level, it's only Shabbat for Shammayim when it's Shabbat in Jerusalem. And so he goes on to say that this question about um, animals, he's talking about um, people who are working in the land with horses and cows. Uh, there's differences in the summer and the winter in terms of how long the day is, and of course, time zones. And so the work is going to turn out being in some cases still on Shabbat when it's not Shabbat already in Israel, actually quite frequently, I feel like whether it's summer or winter. Um, and so in the end, he said, when it comes to the halachic decision-making process, the animals aren't, um, they're not bound by the place where the owner of the animals is, they're bound by their own place and their own time. And the reason is the words of the Midrash that we quoted, right? that the shchina doesn't move. Shabbat in the place where it is, is a thing. It's a thing and we can't, um, we can't kind of get away from that. And he quotes really famous, I mean, he doesn't sort of alludes to, I should say, it's like a really fun part of at Shabbat, where all the Amora'im are described as like getting ready for Shabbat, like this one's buying the fish, and this one's like lighting the fire, but everyone says, and and it's like a little um, terse here, but I think what he's saying is when the Gemara talks about all these Amora'im who got ready for Shabbat, you know, like they're each getting ready to take in Shabbat in their own place. They're not in Yerushalayim, they're not in Jerusalem, but Shabbat is... In multiple places, even though there's this heavenly um, Shabbat taking place, um, that is not necessarily where we are. Um, and in case you're a little bit skeptical of the Midrash that he quoted, he adds As a general rule, we shouldn't learn halacha from, from agada, from like story like fun things like that so is a but that's only if it actually contradicts a halacha, If you have agada a story a nice kind of vort um, that comes up against an actual halachic statement so then maybe we have to be a little bit um, a little bit cautious about it. but here like it also makes sense that it's Shabbat in the place where the things are in the place that we're talking about. So we're going to make sure that um, right, we're going to, we're going to passkin as it were by this midrash and make sure that we're keeping Shabbat in all the places possible. Um, and especially when it comes to these like sort of mystical big picture meta things, we really should listen to these, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's more than any person can understand, right? Nisgav It's like higher level than most of our understanding. So if you're having trouble dealing with like Jerusalem Shabbat in Shemayim, the rest of us, okay, so like that's fine. He feels like it's a difficult concept, also. But bottom line, um, what what he came here to say, what the Mordechai wants you to know is that um, it is actually Shabbat in the place where the Malachet is happening. So tzarich l'shem ro kom gorem. These words here are really his bottom line. You have to keep Shabbat in accordance with the place where the malacha is happening. That's how you keep Shabbat. So I could say, sure, like I'm in Chicago, you're in New York. If I could make malacha happen in New York. So, okay, right? Like the fact that it's Shabbat in New York, but I'm in Chicago, it's not Shabbat here yet. No dice, says the Lushy Mordechai, because it matters if you're disturbing Shabbat in the place where it is. And if this is the case, then we really have to think about um, where in the world, other than where we are, might we be impacting Shabbat and in a global economy and in a, in a world where it's really easy to work across time zones, that's, that's really, worth, uh, really worth considering. So I'm gonna pause for questions and then I will turn it over to Sarna. I don't know if any major questions came in. We have some interesting ones in the chat. Um, Why are not animals bound by where they are and where their owner is? um I, mean, I think in the end they are like they are bound by it's it winds up being um a place where they're where they are um yeah, it winds up being essentially both um places where the sun never sets is a I think i'm gonna table that i mean it's a yeah a, it's its own conversation, um, but I mean, it's a good question, right, and, and it, I think long story short, it is possible for Shabbat to not end for a really long time, um, but there are all sorts of interesting things if you, oh, I see Robert Cohen responded, right, in Scandinavia, right, so there are rulings that are, um, that are put into place for places like this, but I would yeah. say like most of us don't live in those places and what's crazy about this is like, I mean, I always remember hearing about like, yeah, you know, like the North Pole, the South Pole, like how do you ever deal with Shabbat? What if you go to the- When North- Elon
2: Ramon went into space.
1: Exactly, exactly. But like, what's crazy about this is like, this is like, you, just if you live in like, quote unquote, normal places, right? Like this is worrying about Shabbat in other time zones, even though you're in a time zone where Shabbat starts at a perfectly normal time and ends at a perfectly normal time. And that's, I think, like a, a piece that the Levush Mordechai introduces that maybe we're not so used to thinking about.
2: Yeah, uh, there's also, just to come back to the animals for one second, there's also some literature about like animals and, and humans being like, how similar are animals, how different are humans, right? Because um, your, your animals, like ownership over animals is what causes them to have to observe Shabbat. Like the, my Gentile neighbor's animals can do whatever they want on Shabbat. And even my animals, right? My animals on Shabbat, let's say can pasture. But like if I went and started picking up grass on Shabbat, that would be a problem. So basically, like animal, whatever, another year entirely for animals on Shabbat in general. But like Shabbat, like Shvita D'heima, like uh, Shabbat for animals and your obligations specifically to, towards your animals on Shabbat is super interesting and and maybe like a little bit different than where we want to go with this, which is why I'm going to stop talking about it and move on. But um, we're moving now. We're transitioning starkly from animals to humans. Um, um, okay, so we're going to move on to our next.
0: Why is this being so weird?
2: Hang on. Okay, we're moving on to our next um, subject matter, which is non-Jews communications with non-Jews. Because really, when we're talking about um, communications, emails, picking up the phone, asking someone to do something for you, um, on Shabbat there's like massive halachic differences between whether you're talking to a Jew or whether you're talking to a non-Jew. So um, the next two sections are like now we're gonna do all the like non-Jew stuff. Then we're going to do all the Jews stuff. Um, and then we're going to do things like if I put up a website, like anyone can navigate to it. Jews, non-Jews. So I open up an answering machine. Anyone can call my phone, call call the number and leave a message. Jews or non-Jews. So the 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 third thing, or I guess the fourth thing, if you count that as one. Um, the fourth category is going to be um, times where like you don't have control over like who uses it during Shabbat. Oh, so we're starting with non-Jews. So when we talk about... Um, let's say the uh, like classic example of a miro inulhri, so saying something to a gentile on Shabbat, but specifically like asking them to do something. Which um, you know, if you live in the suburbs, is probably like less a piece of your life than let's say if you like live in New York City and have a doorman, um, where it's like a very regular piece of your life or something like that. Maybe people have very different kind of relationships with these laws and um, based on, you know, just like their lifestyle and how many Gentiles they're encountering um, on Shabbat. But there's three basic reasons given for Amir and Okri. And those three reasons actually like cast some understanding about um, like the question that we were just talking about of like where Shabbat is. So if you're the Rambam and you say the point of not asking a non-Jew to do stuff for you on Shabbat, um, here, so we'll just read from the beginning. You're not allowed to tell a Gentile to do stuff for you on Shabbat. Even though the Gentile is not obligated themselves in keeping Shabbat. Even if you told the, the Gentile before Shabbos to do this thing for me on Shabbos. Even if I don't actually need the thing that the Gentile is going to do, I don't even need it until after Shabbat. Ramam says, all of that's prohibited. I do just want to say, like don't listen to what I'm saying now and say, oh, now I'm an expert in what you can say to Gentiles. It's way more complicated. Um, so definitely we're only here for the, the following line, which is the 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 matter of asking Gentiles to do stuff for you on Shabbat is rabbinically prohibited so that Shabbat will not become light, like in the eyes of Jews. And then they'll come to, the Jew will then come to do the work themselves. So that's for the Ramban. And what you can understand then is that it's like a little bit more like location specific. Cause it's about like the Jew, who's the like commander of it is kind of, um, it's about like their personal experience. So then the Amira Lenochri piece is like really tied to that um, Jew, as opposed to um, to, Source number three here which is the next reasoning brought down by Rashi who says no the reason why Jews aren't allowed to tell non-jews to do things do this for me right? this first we saw last week don't look into your affairs or talk about things verbally strike bargains, it's about the speech itself so for rashi it's yeah it's it's less about like the location and more about like the experience of the speaker um and and then for this next understanding of rashi it's the, the problem with amir lenochri is varehu shlucho at lisa and of shabbat it's about the gentile becomes your shaliach the gentile becomes your um emissary and that's the real problem is that the emissary is then doing stuff for you and there's all of these whatever. We're not going to get into like all the different like halachot about emissaries, but, but that it's slightly different from just like, be careful about what you say, or you'll come to take Shabbat lightly. If it's really that it's your emissary, that it's much more of like you did it yourself almost. And that's an even higher level of concern. So that was just like a very basic introduction as to like different understandings of why we have a prohibition on telling Gentiles, like I'm not telling Gentiles to do stuff for us on. Shabbat that would be in violation of Shabbat. Obviously, everyone has heard of a Shabbos goy and all of that stuff. And I'm not here to tell you like your ancestors who like someone came around and lit the fire in their home Shabbat morning were sinners. Like that's wrong. I don't believe that. Um, but the halachot that make that possible are complicated and not the point now. So that's what I'm gonna leave that with. Um, there's one other piece of this that is super important though, which is um what like what's the punishment so and we'll we'll talk about this again when we talk about Jews who do prohibited um things on Shabbat and there's like an output of that prohibited um activity so let's say like the classic example is like a Jew who cooked something on Shabbat like okay what then are you allowed to like do with that cooked item um but what about when that person is a non-Jew what if I said to a non-Jew I said to a non-Jew, cook this thing for me. So, okay, the non-Jew did it. Am I allowed to eat the food that they cooked? So here's where we get this time measurement of I am allowed to benefit from that cooked item after Shabbat is over. And once I've waited enough time, that the item could have entirely been cooked after Shabbat. So I'm still allowed to eat it, which we'll see is in contrast to a Jew, let's say, who purposely violates Shabbat. When a Gentile, when when I violated the rules of Amir al I told the Gentile to do something that's a Torah prohibition for me on Shabbat, I'm still allowed to benefit from it, but my like fine is that I have to wait the amount of time as if they had done it for me, after Shabbat entirely, so they cooked a pot of beans for me, and that took two hours—very slow cooking beans. Um, I would have to wait two hours after Shabbos before I could eat the beans they made for me. Um, and um, the yeah, um, and the reason for this fine is the Taz here just says quickly um, in source number six right there has to be a fine or else you'll do it again there has to be a fine on it like you have to you have to wait or else next week you'll be like i want beans most of make them for me right now and then you'll make havelah and then you'll eat your beans immediately and we don't want you doing that because that's a violation of this rabbinic prohibition on instructing a gentile to do prohibited activity for you on shabbat okay So let's turn now to our, like, time zones fun with that background. So we're back in the Chalakha Yaakov. We met him last week, um, Rabbi Mordechai Yaakov Breish. Um, So he was born in the late 1800s. He survived the Shoah and he settles in um, Switzerland. And the Swiss community, for those of you who are familiar, it, it becomes this, like, very important community, like, particularly Um, and he was very like essential to that and he got a lot of questions but not just from the Swiss community but actually from around the world so this question comes from his um, relative who's living in New York so the question is so The specifics of this question is, oh, someone who's in a place where it's not yet Shabbos, can you talk on the phone to someone who is in a place where it is yes Shabbos? So let's say it's Friday afternoon in New York and you get a call from Switzerland. That's always his like point of reference. It's always Switzerland. Um, Are you allowed to pick up the phone? So we'll see what he says about if the caller is Jewish later. But um, here we're gonna say, what if the caller is a Gentile? So the first he says is, um, okay, right? So if it's like, if it's two Jews and they're both not Shabbat, it's not Shabbat for either of them, there's no problem, right? Um, and then he says, Shabbat, <laughs> So, okay, but if the Gentile is somewhere where it's already Shabbat, the Gentile doesn't have to keep Shabbos. And he's doing something for a Jew that at that same time, the Jew himself could do, right? So I'm sitting in New York. It is noon, noon on Friday, and I'm talking to a Gentile in Switzerland, and in Switzerland, it's whatever it is, it's five o'clock, and it's already Shabbos, let's say, in the winter, and I'm telling him, okay, write down the following thing that I'm about to tell you. Well, like, for the Jew in New York, they could write it down themselves, and it would be totally fine, so he says, of course, for the Gentile sitting in Switzerland, who Shabbos doesn't even apply to them, of course, the Gentile could also write down what he's about to tell him um right because uh and it's not the same as someone on friday afternoon who says to a gentile tomorrow on shabbos i want you to do this thing for me because but in that case when the gentile is cooking your beans on shabbos that's sorry that's exactly at a time, he's cooking beans at a time when the Jew is not allowed to cook beans. But in this case, at noon on Friday in New York and five on Friday in Switzerland, that is a time when the Jew is allowed to do Shabbos. So basically in the like Jew-Gentile relationship, says Rav Breish, it's all about where is the Jew and where is Shabbos for the Jew. And that is the entirety of the question that, um, that matters in this case. Um, but then he says something a little bit interesting, which is there's this other element of, um, like, what does it look like? So let's say you have, you own a shop, you own maybe like a few shops, one's in New York and one branch is in Switzerland. So at noon, and you're living in New York, at noon at New York, your shop in New York is open. Can your shop in Switzerland also be open if it's run by a Gentile on shabbos but you didn't there's all sorts of ways and we're not going to go into it of like i own a shop in new york and i want it to be open on shabbos what can i do that's a tale as old as time the shulchan Aruch already has suggestions for how to how to navigate that uh, but this is that's not the case he's talking about these stores are entirely oh so the solution is like co-ownership whatever but the in this case in this case these both stores are entirely owned by the jew in new york so he says new york so you have a jew who lives in new york and he has business in Zurich. new york and everyone knows that store it's owned by that jew in new york Right. And this is the point, right? We don't let the Jew who's sitting in uh, the, the we don't let the Jew sitting in New York instruct the store in Zurich, let's say, to be open on Shabbos in Zurich, even if at that time in New York it is weekday in New York, because everyone knows, oh, that's the Jew store. That's the store that belongs to the Jew. And it's right. It's Mifursam shushayach L'Israel Uma Koma Esak Kfar Ayal and he says, and right, and everyone knows that it belongs to a Jew, and the and it's already Shabbos in the place that the store is Muvenet Nayatmo, and and the reasoning for this is just obvious, but I think what it is is that it it really looks bad, and um, that's going to get spelled out even more explicitly by the Betzal HaChuchma, who is Rabbi Betzalel Stern. And he moved around a lot, but his life journey took him to um, Melbourne, which is like the queen Jewish city of all time zone issues, because like it's always whenever it's not Shabbos for you and sorry to our Australian listeners, but like basically it's like whenever it's not Shabbos for you, it's like for sure Shabbos for them, because just like the time difference is so extreme. Um, And so that's really where like all these questions are going to come up. Really in big time, and so he was a rabbi in Melbourne for a short amount of time, and and had to really like own a lot of these time zone questions from from that position. Um, And he says again, right, the Jew in Australia who has a store in New York. So he says near Ashemu Jareim Sikh Bogambi Yom Hashabbat. So in this case, he says it seems like it would be allowed for that store to actually yes be open on Shabbos. Kikashariya Shah Shaba Babokar Bioma in New York, yekfar sha'a esrba moteil shabbat kodashba Melbourne. Because by the time it's 7 a.m. in New York Shabbos morning, it's already Motze Shabbos in Melbourne. The Amy Survativar and he says, he says the opposite of what Rice says. He says that there's no, there's not necessarily um. um Oh, sorry. He says it seems like it should be permitted um, because it's like completely not Shabbos for the owner, but at the same time, he says um, you can't. Yes, in New York, sorry. So then he he right he disagrees with Rav and he says yeah, it's actually all about the Australian times. Um, I wonder whether if it was like known that some Jew owned the shop and it was like the Jew store and then it were open, then it were closed on Friday and open on Shabbos, which is what he's suggesting. He suggests, yeah, on Friday, that's when it's Shabbos in Australia. And on Shabbos, that's when it's Sunday in Australia. So it should be closed on Friday, open on Shabbat. But I wonder whether he would actually ultimately agree with Reish that like if everyone knows about it, it's different. Um, but otherwise, it seems like if there's only a, um, if there's, if there's no Mariet I in question, and there's only, if there's no like, how does it look question, and there's only just this like time zone, you're my emissary, I'm telling you to do stuff question, then he says, yeah, then it's all by Melbourne times, when is Shabbos in Melbourne, that's the question. Um, and so your store totally allowed to be open on Shabbos, but it has to be closed on Friday, which is like a very funny Thing about um, about Australia. Okay, um, and the last thing I want to mention about non-Jews is um, is non-Jews and emails. So that's really complicated because when I pick up the phone and I like connect with someone, or when someone, let's say even better, someone calls me on the phone, I know that I'm going to pick up and I'm going to be talking to someone. Like there's going to be a synchronous connection there. When I send an email, I don't know that someone's going to see it right away. There's no reason why they should see it right away, um, right? It, like if, if this were France and like everyone had to close their work emails at all the times when they're not working, then like in fact, you know, like I would know that they're not going to see it um, at that time. And so what, what does it mean exactly to like send an email? Is that the same as the non-Jew next door who I say bake me, bean, cook me beans on Shabbos day? Um, Does email actually even, like, does the form of communication that is email even, like, accomplish that kind of communication um, and that kind of, like, order? So this is where we have um, um, this article by Joe Kidron and Truman, where he talks about, and we'll come back to this article, and he talks about um, all the different complexities about emails. But he really says, the main difference is, did you say the words, do this ASAP? Or not. That's the real point. Otherwise, like when they decide to answer the email, that's up to them. They could easily answer it before Shabbos starts. They could answer it after Shabbos is over. They decide to do it on Shabbos. That's up to them. And we have this thing in in Amir Lenukri where like, if you tell a non-Jew, like, please wash my dishes, and then they decide to put it in the dishwasher and turn the dishwasher on, or they decide to use hot water and a sponge, but really you had cold water and soap and brushes there that could have done the dishes completely in a Shabbat appropriate way. You don't have to micromanage them. You can just say, please do the dishes and they'll choose to do them however they like. Um, And so similarly with emails, as long as you don't micromanage, (laughs) as long as you don't say, get back to me ASAP, I need an answer on Shabbat so that when I open my computer after Shabbat, the answer is already there. Um, And you're for sure gonna write this email on Shabbat. Um, He says it's basically, um, okay, but then the question is: Let's say you get an email from a non-Jew on Shabbat, and you see from the timestamp they sent it on Shabbos. So, do I have to wait the way that I would have to wait for my beans? Right, like I would have to wait the two hours it would take to make beans. So, even if I open my email and I see, you know, um, my my coworker Chris sent me a um, sent me an email on Shabbos afternoon. Do I, do I have to wait the amount of time it would take him? And then the question is the amount of time it would take to do what? To think of what the content is in the email, to type out the email, to press send in the email. <laughs> um, and so that's the part that is sort of like, maybe there should be a but like, Of what exactly, like what exactly is the thing that they did? If it's, he has, right, he says, like sending the email is, is karef ayin, like it's, it's the blink of an eye. Um, and, um, and there's no like practical reason to do that. Um, and so then he says, well, maybe it's really the amount of time that would take to compose the email, like the whole, the whole practice of the email that was all like crafted on Shabbat. Maybe that's what it is. Um, so that's the, okay. I think we're gonna we're gonna pause on the the Gentiles and stuff. Now we've raised all of the. I think email is kind of like the hardest question that we raised here. Though so we did bring you two different um, and comp- conflicting opinions about the shop owner situation. But the real answer of the shop owner situation is you gotta do every everyone like the bottom line for everyone is like well maybe you could do this, but the easiest way out is to do one of the many long-existing uh, halakhic answers that have um, have been around for a long time for that.
1: Um, okay. Um, OK, so there was a question about the link to the article, which I thought I could link to. But then I realized that you had emailed it to me. So I actually don't have a live link for that. Um, it's, a, it's, it's a plus like anyway. Right, you, you wouldn't right. have so, access to
2: it. I think we can post PDFs here, though, so I can try and do that.
1: OK, cool. Um, and um, a comment about international datelines, which it's true that um, the international dateline was an important um, invention. And also really, I would just say that like time zones in general and daylight savings time and all these things all have impact on these halakha questions, something which I did not think about sufficiently until I moved to Chicago um, and discovered the randomness with which um, time zone lines are drawn.
2: Um, which you really get when you drive east to New York from Chicago, so. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, you totally do. There is actually, we didn't put it in because he doesn't really get into it, but there, there's like an amazing tiny little tshuva um, by Rabbi Fromer, um, who was, Rabbi Mayor Shapiro was like, not, he took over Yeshivat Chokhmi Lublin after Rabbi Mayor Shapiro passed away in 1934. Um, so he was the head of Yeshivat Chokhmi Lublin for just like a quick five years, but in those, before it was, destroyed by the Nazis and he was eventually died in Maidanic, uh, was murdered in Maidanic. um, and, um, but he, um, he has, like, okay, what if one Jew is standing on, like, one side of the date line, the other one's standing on the other side of the Dateline? line, can, like, the one where it's not Shabbos for him make kiddish for the other one, like, because they can hear each other, like, can they, like, pass stuff back and forth, could the guy who's not Shabbos for walk to Shabbos, and Shabbos walked to weekday um, like that, right? But he like really brings up all the fun, exciting questions, but um, he, didn't, he didn't like do justice to the answer, so we didn't put it
1: in. Um And Alana had a question about WhatsApp with last time active notes.
2: Yeah, I think WhatsApp it, it's almost similar to like a phone thing here, um, but we'll get to it even more relevantly with um, with Jews. So hold tight.
1: Yeah, and we will try to put in the, the article comes from a database, so it's not publicly accessible, but everybody will try to post a link to the PDF. Um, And with that, I'm going to share my screen. Um, Jews do really like WhatsApp, it's a true story, especially Jews in Israel, really like WhatsApp. Um, Yes, and um, and that's complicated. Okay, Um, I wanna talk a little bit about communications with Jews on Shabbat. Um, or, you know, on Shabbat question mark, right? It's Shabbat for me, it's not Shabbat for you, vice versa, those kinds of things. Um, or even if it's Shabbat for both of us. Um, and um, and here, the issue is going to be a little bit different. So we're no longer in a mural and Nohri land. That's not what's happening with all of its associated issues. Here, the issue that we're really going to talk about is the issue of Lufne Iver, um, or the prohibition, literally, against. Putting a stumbling block before the blind. Although interestingly, it is questionable whether actually putting a stumbling block before a blind person would fall within the Deora right de realm of this prohibition, according to some Rishonim, but that's a fun topic for another time. So um, it's a general rule that you can't, let's say, cause people to sin. Um, and here's here's what the like the, the classic Gemara on this um, says as follows Minayan yoshit Adam yain Lazir. How do we know, because the Gemara assumes that we know, that you can't um, extend a cup of wine to a nazir, a nazir who's taken a vow not to drink wine, Um, and you can't um, pull off a limb from an animal, like a living animal, right, and give it to B'nai Noach, because they are, the descendants of Noah are all not allowed to eat, Uh, you know, um, limb ripped off a living animal. Talmud Lamar, we learn it from the verse, you can't place a stumbling block before the blind. Um, so, again, understood in the case of this, like the, the specific way this Pasuk is being read, not just literally don't put a stumbling block before a blind person, but don't, don't lead someone to sin, right? Don't cause someone to do that. They're the blind person relative to you because you're, um, you like know what's up, right? And you're giving them this opportunity to do something that they shouldn't do. Um, but then the Gemara asks, the HaHacha, the Ka'avar, the Ka'avar, yeah. So, like, the person, even if you didn't give it to them, right? Like, couldn't they take it anyway? Meaning, don't people, like, ha, what's, what's the threshold for saying, I made you do this sin, right? Like, I have little kids, little kids will always say, He made me do it, she made me do it. It's like, no, 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 you kind of did that by yourself. You didn't need me to help you. Um, So, um, so did you really transgress this um, if they could have done it anyway, Um, what are we talking about in this case, that you're the two people are standing on two different sides of the river. So me and the wine, we are over here and you, the Nazir are on the other side of the river. You wouldn't be able to get the wine were it not for me like leaning across the river and bringing you the cup of wine. You couldn't transgress that without me. Um, and the Gemara says, yeah, that's, that's a, good, a good understanding. because it says you shouldn't um, like extend it. You shouldn't reach it over to the person. It doesn't just say, don't give it to them. So yes, that's the, that's the actual reading of this case. Lifnei um, iver applies when we are helping someone do something that they should not do only if it's something that they could not otherwise do without us. Um, So you can keep that image of the two sides of the river in your mind, um, knowing, of course, that it's not always gonna be so simple to say, like, I could do it without you, I couldn't do it without you, right? The wine and the two sides of the river makes it into a really simple case. But that's kind of the the piece to have in mind um, when we're thinking about, did I cause another Jewish person to do something that they should not have done? in our case, specifically on Shabbat. The second piece to think about when we think about um, our issues of emails and WhatsApp and all those things um, with Jews on Shabbat, is a piece that Rebbe Nitzarna referenced earlier. It's the flip side of the story. This is a different story. Someone who cooks on Shabbat or they did any other and so they did it on purpose. Lo, lo, allah. That person, says the Shulchan Aruch, can never get benefit from the thing that they have done, right? The Jew who cooked the pot of beans on Shabbat, knowing, deciding I'm going to do this on purpose on Shabbat, even though I know it's macha, they should never eat those beans. <inaudible> but other people can eat those beans. I'm not sure how we got with with beans, but fine. You can, you can eat the beans right after Shabbat i don't know can eat the food right after shabbat immediately um right i don't have to wait if you cooked on shabbat on purpose i don't have to wait um i just um you know i i can eat it because we're not we don't have that same concern of like i'm going to tell a non-jew to do something for me that's something you could get used to the assumption is like not going to start doing that with other jews but if it's bashogeg. This is going to be important if the person sent the email accidentally, um, but not really the email. If the person cooked accidentally, right, in the case of the of the Shulchan Aruch, meaning they didn't know it was Shabbat or they didn't know that you weren't allowed to do this kind of cooking. So then the person who did the cooking can't benefit from it that day, but immediately after Shabbat, it's permissible, of course, to you. That would be true even if they did it on purpose, and it's permissible to them as well. So that's if somebody does Melechah and Shabbat in terms of benefiting from it. So kind of taking armed with those two pieces of knowledge, let's look at some test cases relevant to the kinds of questions that we're asking. So first of all, we'll go back to the Chelkat Yaakov um, for um, Jews on the phone this time. So. Same basic setup, like right as Rivney Sarna said, there's always going to be um, somebody in Europe and somebody not in Europe um, in in his questions. Um, so, um, so he's in a somebody's in a place where it's Teramayal Shabbat, right? right? he's in a place where it's not yet Shabbat. Um, and um, can he talk to somebody on the phone in a place where it's already Shabbat? Um, and um, right, and the assumption is right. Everybody in this particular case is Jewish, and it's just a question of right. Can you do this? So he spells it out more here. Echad bin New York, kibel telephone, It's me Europa. If somebody who's in New York gets a call from somebody who's in Europe, it's already Shabbat in Europe, um, and he goes on to say inoshemer um, Shabbat. Right, this is a case where, oops, this is a case where the person in Europe is not keeping Shabbat, um, but you are. But it's not Shabbat where you are exactly, so you don't really like what. What exactly is going to be the issue, or is there going to be an issue? So he says, like you know, again picking up on pieces that we've seen before. Um, you know, it's it's a question of where it's Shabbat. It's a question of you having them do the malacha. But ultimately, he says, "Hu um, over He is actually transgressing the isur de of li'fnei iver, the textbook case that we saw in the Gemara of you're causing someone, you're enabling someone to do something they shouldn't do that without you they couldn't do. Um, He says this falls into that category. And the really intense part of what he says um, is, okay, telephone calls um, without getting too far into electricity, which we've pretty successfully avoided so far, actually, kind of, yeah, amazingly. Uh, We were worried about getting stuck there. So forgetting about electricity and circuits and like what exactly, what do I do when I make a phone call? You don't even have to worry about that, Rav says, because um, actually, When you make someone else do a derabanan, you're still doing the deoraita of (laughs) lifnei iver, right? minha torah, it's the deoraita level. It's literally no different than if you trip them up with a stone on the way. Um, So that's actually. His sack is that you can't do this. And yeah, all, you know, quote unquote, all they've done is pick up the phone. All you've done is enable them to pick up the phone. It's maybe not so much malacha there, but it is a problem for sure of lufne yer. It is a problem of kind of like tripping them up in this way. So that's phones. Let's think a little bit about emails, going back to this article from uh, from Harev Kidron in Truman. Um, here he gets even deeper into the questions of like, what kind of communication is email really? And, and particularly in terms of when do we answer emails? Like the phone rings, I don't know about you, but like my instinct is definitely still to pick up the phone, even though I know that there's like tons of spam callers out there. Um, plus I can see who's calling me and it could take like more thinking to think about like, um, you know, like. So and so is calling me, so I pick up the phone. Like that's my instincts. Do I stop to think about what time it is, where she is? Not necessarily, right? Like it's not necessarily going to be the thing that crosses my mind in the split second when I see their name cross my screen. Email, and I think a lot of that I put WhatsApp in this category also. But you can tell me what you think. Um, is it's in like a little bit of a different category? Like you can answer spontaneously, you can answer like immediately, but. People like a little bit more time to react and you don't answer every WhatsApp right away and you don't answer every email right away. So there's kind of more variability here and he gets into that. So um, he says, when the when the email is sent to a Jew, our issue is for sure. Our issue was for sure. Only really for sure, if you're sure they're going to get the email on Shabbat. So now you're kind of playing a game. Like, I know that the Jew that I'm sending the email to doesn't keep Shabbat. But I am not totally sure if they are going to check email or not, which is like a separate question. When it comes to something that is um, a maybe a violation, like you don't know for sure that you're tripping them up because you don't know for sure that they are checking email or going to answer emails on Shabbat. Um, so most postkin would say there's no East Or of Leaf right? You haven't transgressed Leaf Naiver, not because the malacha you're making them do is a lesser malacha, but because you actually don't know for sure in sending the email that they're going to do anything at all. They might be like the people in France and have turned off their emails for the weekend and like, you know, Ken Yerbu, right? Something we we should all do, but most of us don't. Many of us don't. Um But he says, it's not the case that every time there's a suffix, you can be lenient. You have to figure out, like, how likely is it actually that the person is going to check email um, on Shabbat. And so I'm going to skip a little bit because we are running low on time. Um, But he basically says, like, it it really is going to depend on how likely they are. And he quotes from a tshuva that talks about, um, it talks about whether or not it's a, a 19th century Russian shuva about like how likely is it the person will actually act on it. Um, so in this case, he says it's totally possible they could act on it in any moment, right? Like someone could be checking their emails, they could be responding to emails, but you really don't know for sure. So unless you know for sure that the person checks emails on Shabbat and is going to respond to your email on Shabbat, um, right, that you're going to at least cause them to read it, it's probably not a leaf naïver, um situation because you just don't know for sure. He does also add that um, in this section, um, that there, there is an opinion that maybe if a Jew does something on purpose on Shabbat, like if this is a person who always checks their email on Shabbat, if this is a person who always does malacha on Shabbat, maybe we'd be stricter than that p'sak that we saw from the Shulchan Aruch. But bottom line, this would not be a way to live. And he says, people who don't keep Shabbat nowadays, they're not really doing it on, on purpose, quote unquote. It's just like that's how people are in the world. We have a lot, a lot more, a lot more Jews who keep less Shabbat. Um, he says, Shabbat is ruvam dinam Right? They are like children who were taken captive. they don't. They're not really considered classic mazid. They're not doing the malacha in order to do malacha on Shabbat. And so we can be lenient um, because the flip side, if we couldn't be lenient. Right. going go back to the idea of Maisie, right? maybe we would have to say, according to this opinion, that you could never get benefit from the email. Right? Imagine having emails in your inbox, seeing the timestamp or having messages on your WhatsApp and you're like, I'm sorry, like, I can never read your message. I will never be responding to that email. When will I be getting back to you? Not ever, um, because actually um, it was written on Shabbat. So ultimately this article gives an out. And Rav Kudron says, no, you can actually, we assume it's not like a mazed mazed kind of situation, um, as long as you're not making them answer their emails on Shabbat, and as long as they're not doing it kind of lahakis, right, because they really want to transgress Shabbat, um, it's fine to be reading those emails. Okay, I'm pausing to see if there are questions, and we will be able to go on. Um. I had one that I put in the chat. It was um, if it's somebody that you know who keeps Shabbat who calls you on a landline like either when it's
0: Shabbat for them or if it's Shabbat for you too and you know that the only reason they would call you on Shabbat is because of an emergency.
1: So I mean I would think I would bracket that under like Hilchot emergency right like medical emergency is like definitely different um, but you know this is this is more about sort of like business as usual.
2: Yeah. And then to Ozzy's question, if there's enough time that, if there's like, then it's, it's not on you. Like if you email a Jew and they could respond before it's Shabbat for them. So then like, there's, it's not on you that you, 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 you're totally allowed to send that email. then the question is what you do with their response. Um, and that depends a little bit on like, did the person specifically wait to send you that email on Shabbat, like just to get you and if they didn't, then then it's fine, and that's what Robert about just just was talking about. Um, I wanna I wanna just quickly jump through the last section because there's a lot of interesting stuff there, um, and in five minutes we're not gonna get to all of it. Um, but so when we're talking about answering machines, automated email stuff like that, um, one of the things that we're talking about is. Is this question of Shvitat Kalim, of like resting vessels, which is a very, like described in the Mishnah, right? Can I set a trap on Friday? And what happens if that trap then like catches an animal on Shabbat, right? This is like not a new thing, right? Like that's essentially an automated email, um, right? And that we're gonna look at it, I think we're gonna look at it next week more carefully, that question. But basically, there's like a few different considerations. But in general, we say, yeah, like your objects don't have to rest. Your animals do, but your objects don't. Um, and so, um, but one thing that is important to think about um, is well, does everyone know that you set it up yesterday or are people going to think you set it up today? So when we're thinking about automated emails, um, let's say, you know, emails come out from, I think, Ah, uh, everybody e. Wolkenfeld is like a great example of this because emails from Safaria come out under her name all of the time. I got one today, I think. Um, and people, do people recognize that she did not sit there and type them, "Dear Ilana, I'm so happy to see that you are using Safaria. Like <laughs> or do people recognize that it's uh, that it's an automated email? So this question of does everyone know that it's an automated email that was set up? On a month ago to go out today, um, do they or do they think that the person who's like responding to their Amazon order, saying like here's your tracking number, is literally sitting there like typing that in in person? And that's that's where like kind of the relevant questions for that come in. Um, and so on the one hand, we always try and like humanize automated emails, but if you have Shabbat concerns, then you might want to like dehumanize your automated emails, and that would be um, a way of addressing this like you could literally add like this email sent by a robot and then like Shkaya. um it, and um okay so answering machines this is just an amazing chuva. we're not going to be able to go through it well i, I think we're, we're hopefully going to bring in some of this long paragraph here next week but basically in talking about answering machines he anticipates um like amazon stores where like you just walk in and recognizes your phone and then it charges you for stuff afterwards but like the owner of the store is like sitting at a shabbos table so he says like that's my concern about answering machines like my concern is like and and then he said and and he also has like a whole chuba that's not even here about um i'm an owner of vending machines can i like leave my vending machines at the ballpark on shabbos um and the answer there is like yeah no problem because it's the same every day of the week but if your answering machine is only set up for shabbos he says that's a problem. And the reason it's a problem, he says, is because, like, we could automate, he anticipates that we would be able to automate the world such that on Shabbos, everything seems as normal in my work. And I am, like, sitting at my Shabbos table singing Zmirot, um, and have nothing to do with it, but my workplace is still doing all of its normal stuff because I have like totally automated it into normalcy. So that's what he's like very concerned about that world and this chuba about answering machines, uh, which is just like really fascinating. Um, and then this last piece here, and you can you can click on this is a hyperlink that should hopefully work and that'll take you to Sparia. You don't need a fancy PDF. Though I obviously do recommend buying Rabbi Jackter's books. He's a phenomenal educator and a clear beautiful writer. Um, and here he just brings in all of these different positions about a commercial website. So my website sells water bottles. Can my website be open on Shabbos? Is my website a vending machine? Um, or is my website a shop? That's basically the question. Um, and we saw like, can can someone else run my shop for me on Shabbos, whatever. And th- those are the same answers that they try and suggest. Like maybe your website business should be co-owned or things like that. But, um, but if your website is, in fact, a vending machine, then your website can be open on Shabbos. Um, by, um, but it's literally like this live debate between current, alive, like, Russia Yeshiva of Yeshiva University as to whether websites are vending machines or not. So Armini Olkenfeld is highlighting this part. Rav Schachter says, yes, they're vending machines. But here you have Rabbi Willing and Rabbi Slavolovsky who say, like, no, they're not vending machines. Uh, Rav Lichtenstein was opposed, all sorts of other stuff. Um, but they um by Rabbi Jackter in the end says, um, you know, maybe if it's a case of like real financial loss and there's no other option but to leave it open, then maybe you can. I would say like this for people who don't know, like this is a real thing in the world. Like websites, especially for Svarim stores, are very frequently closed on Shabbos. And the best way to find that out is when um go to a British Svarim store website. When it's not yet Shabbos in America, on like a Friday afternoon, go to a British farm store website. I guarantee you, the website will say like, "We are closed for Shabbat. Come back later." Um, and um, so it's a real thing in the world. Web commercial websites there are there are ones that close on Shabbat, um, and um, and that but but fascinatingly, like they're closed on their Shabbat and not on my Shabbat. That British farm store. So um, that is also um, that's also kind of an interesting piece of this, I do, I do like definitely want to recommend Rabbi Jaffer's writing on this because he brings in all the different opinions and he brings in also this sort of Brish here in translation, if you want to read that or you can obviously look up the full tshuva and stuff like that. Um, okay, obviously these questions are like so interesting. They're unfolding. Um, there's a lot more about this kind of like automation questions than there actually was about some of our like body tracking device questions last week there's like a lot of because it started earlier like automation start vending machines have existed for a long time Um, so there's just more literature about it Um, and yet like the time the time zone aspect of it is um, is very very um, interesting and and uh, and exciting so Kayla asked do the type of goods matter for the website if I'm selling digital goods am I more of a vending machine than an online store selling products that need to be shipped um yeah that's so the 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 book is um the book is is gray matter by or by jack or not Rabbi <laughs> um different people with different names um I'm trying to okay yeah anyways there's just like a lot more to be said on this but hopefully it was like an interesting introduction to like the issues involved of asking gentiles to do things on shabbat but like what time zone is your gentile in um and who's shabbat like where is shabbat um and and enabling people to do stuff on shabbat and benefiting from enabling jews to do stuff on shabbat benefiting from jews doing things on shabbat are all kind of the same values that underlie the whole question, even as the world gets more globalized and more interconnected and and work takes over more and more spaces of our lives um, and more complicated. Ravineet Wolfenfeld, do you have anything to add in closing? Just, you know, homework. You should notice
1: this coming Shabbat. um, What is automated? I told Ravineet Sarna that I woke up early on Sunday morning to um, work on this class with her and like the first email I got was an angry email from my Israel team saying that an automated message had been sent out in their names on Shabbat. Okay, unclear how that happened, but they got ang- they got like hate mail back being like, how could you send out an email on Shabbat? P.S., our America-based team set that up like a week in advance. Um, so if anything like that happens in your life, you should notice it and report it back here. If you send something, if someone else sends something that gets misconstrued, if you open your email or your WhatsApp after Shabbat and you see things and you're like, hmm, when was that sent? Hmm, when can I reply to it? So that's your homework to think about. Um, and we will zoom out and talk about some of these meta issues next time, but we'll, as Rabin Sarna said, circle back to some of the chivot vote at the end here that we rushed through. Um, and we look forward to seeing you guys next week. Um, and the, sorry, the link that I put to Grey Matter is a book. It is, in a, it is on a website. Um, specifically the website is safaria there we have multiple volumes of a book called gray matter you can buy the book but i can't show you the physical book right now because i don't have it but that's the book just digitized
2: ebook housed in the Safari
1: okay thank you guys
0: All right. And thank you everyone for joining us. Um, The next and final session of this class will be meeting next week. So please come back. And if you want to learn more with Drisha, we have a new class starting this Wednesday called, um, which is, I guess, also a class that is a bit on the subject of work and maybe not so much on the things you can and can't do for Shabbat. I can't tell. I'll, uh, have to report back but it is it is on Wednesday at 1 p.m eastern time since we're talking about time zones that's worth mentioning
2: it's Ziering's class right yes it's okay so he's gonna be talking about it's just about work but it's about like what do you owe people who work for you so if you have a nanny who works for you you have a cleaning person who works for you it's all the different halachot that um that pertain to those complicated relationships it's like a not an area of halacha that you learn in day school but one that is super relevant to most people many people's lives um really almost no matter like what it seems like a little bit like making assumptions about people's socioeconomic class but but actually not like almost everyone at some point hires a babysitter um and so um, um so this is the class for you if you hire a babysitter or have anyone at all who does work for you um a plumber an electrician anything like that um, what, what, what what does have to say about that relationship
0: Great and right. with that good. yes and with that thank you everyone for joining you can find the recording of this up on our website at slash live. you can find out and you can find the and you can find the more polished recording in our audio library thank you for joining us and everyone have a good night